Welcome to This Week from the Principal's Desk, a podcast about Lutheran schools and their leadership. This podcast is hosted by two school leaders. My name is Rob Lunak, and I'm the superintendent of Lutheran Neighborhood Schools in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and my co-host is Mike Scheman. Hi, my name is Mike Scheman. I'm principal at Bethany Lutheran School in Parma, Ohio, and I'm, I've been looking forward to this podcast because we have a special guest that we have joining us. Um, in this. And anytime that we can bring more people into the conversation about education, it just continues to make the experience uh, even deeper for everybody. So, uh, Rob, I'm going to punt it back to you to introduce uh, our special guest today. Our special guest today is Nathaniel Provencio. He's worked in the public education field since 2001 as a classroom teacher, building administrator, and associate superintendent. He's been honored as the 2017 Prince William County Principal of the Year, the 2017 Washington Post Principal of the Year, and the 2019 Virginia National Distinguished Principal of the Year. He's the author of Community Connections in Your PLC at Work, which focuses on how schools can utilize the professional learning community framework to enhance family and community engagement. Nathaniel, welcome to the podcast, buddy. What's going on, Rob? Good <laughs> to see you guys. Good to see you, Mike. It's good to have you on. We got uh, we. This has been in the works for... Oh gosh, like three, four months now, something like that. So it's nice to to mm -hmm. get it finished. And we had a little bit of a scheduling snafu and almost put it in April. But it's a good thing we can get it out in August. Earlier is always better. So mm -hmm. Nathaniel, you are maybe new to some of the people listening. So why don't you give us the little cliff notes about you? Tell us about you. Oh my gosh. Okay, so twenty three plus years in uh, education, public education had every uh been blessed to have every job from substitute to superintendent and kind of everything in between um in a nutshell i was um uh six years as a third grade teacher absolutely loved that thought i was going to do that forever and then someone pushed me and said hey you can lead lead a team pretty well why don't you go into administration it's like you're crazy i'm never going to do that and so i did it and then I uh, was an assistant principal for three years. And then someone said, you should be a principal. I said, you're crazy. I'm never going to do that. And then I became a principal. And then I was a principal for nine years and just loved it. It was just such a such an honor and a blessing to be able to serve as a school leader. And then someone said, you should be a superintendent. And I said, you're very crazy. I'm never going to do that. <laughs> and so I became an associate superintendent. And then uh, something happened around like this March 13th, 2020 date that kind of lives in infamy. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that date when the whole world shut down. <laughs> and then anything that I thought about instructional leadership and serving schools through a, an instructional leadership capacity uh, was totally thrown out the window and, you know, pivoting and virtualing and getting kids and in and out and politics and doing all this stuff. And, and I decided that um, the, after, after, when, when schools were opening, that the the country was in uh, much needed help, and the skills and the trainings and the blessings and the the, the gifts that I had acquired through my journey uh, shouldn't be relegated to a zip code, and so I decided to you know just give it up to the universe and start my own con leadership coaching and consulting you know work. And uh, for over two years now, I've been working in probably, it seems like, just hundreds of schools across America, helping school leaders, helping teachers, helping teams, helping districts um, with professional capacity and leadership growth and growing family engagement and community engagement and doing everything I can to kind of be a missionary, 
you know, for what's possible in public education. And it's a big job. There's 93,000 public schools plus, you know, all the private schools. And so I've got my work cut out for me, but um, it's been amazing and I absolutely love it. The traveling can be a little tricky, um, but when I, when I leave, uh, I feel like I have this sense of uh, um, sense of hope for our school leaders and, and absolutely love the work. So I don't know how long I'll do it, but uh, that, that's where I'm currently, where I'm currently at. That's, that's really yeah. neat. I, I like, I like to hear that journey and it's, it's amazing to me how many great leaders I hear go, Oh, I never wanted to lead. I never wanted mm-hmm. to do that. I never wanted to be a principal or a vice principal or a superintendent. I just wanted to be a classroom teacher. And so it's, it's fantastic to see that there's been that, that desire put on your heart and that work that you want to do. Can you tell us a little bit about what kind of inspired you to step into education in the first place? Yeah, it's, you know, I think we're all inspired by either the teachers that we had or the teachers that we didn't have. Um, I am the first in my family to go to college. I wear that as one of my my most proudest accomplishments. Um, I come from, you know, generational poverty, and I was uh, really just blessed with um parents that fought for me to to be the best that I could do. They didn't always have the skills and um, they weren't always equipped with all the things to help me, but they loved me and they knew that I could break out of that, that cycle. And um, so I just had teachers that I really resonated with. I had teachers maybe that I didn't necessarily resonated with. And, and I just loved education. I loved, um, you know, being around teachers. I loved that process. I loved kids. I loved delivering. And I said, you know what? I got three choices here. I could either join the the the, the military. I can work at the factory, or I can try to fill out these forms and this FAFSA forms or whatever it's called and try to get to college. So I gave it a shot. And uh, oh, oh shoot, I'm accepted. <laughs> and so now, so maybe I should be a teacher. So that gift, that blessing of getting into college, which I never really expected, to be honest with you. And it like, it was like, wow, you've been given a great opportunity to be the change that you want to see in the world. You, you, you've been given an opportunity to go into education and break generation poverty. You've been given an opportunity to be the teacher that you always wanted to be, or maybe be the teacher that you didn't have. And, um, I was on the five-year undergrad plan, you know, because the uh, first year I didn't know what I was doing. And once I figured that out, um, I became a teacher and it was great. I'm from a small town in Tennessee and uh, I knew that there weren't necessarily the job opportunities in that small rural area. So I moved outside of Washington, D.C. and I've been here for 20 plus years. Wow. That's fantastic. I think uh, a lot of your story, I think, is going to resonate with a lot of people. I know it's resonating with me, the whole Thing about uh, oh I don't know I'm never going to be a principal and then uh, you know here here I am mm. um, but also I love the the mission that you have about going into schools and connecting because for our podcast we're trying to provide administrators with um, you know ideas or thoughts or connections and so for you to say that you you go around and do that I think is fantastic because a lot of people can really feel like we're on an island and sometimes mm. when you're on an island you start struggling with am I doing a good job am I doing the right thing how do I know it's the right thing and sometimes that uncertainty can flood into uh, job performance. It can flood into mindset. And even um, unintentionally, you can end up with a bit of a struggling school. And I'm sure you've seen lots of schools like that um, or, or administrators that need help or people that need help. Can you tell us a little bit about 
some of your work and the things that you do to help um, people who are struggling in schools or struggling schools themselves? Yeah, it, this is a very challenging time in public education. Absolutely, no doubt. It was challenging before the pandemic. It's more challenging now. Um, you know, and I just think that with these immense challenges that we're, that our school leaders are having, and it's not just accelerating learning. I mean, I think I was reading some statistics that students in general are three to four months behind where they would have been, um, you know, due to the, due to the pandemic. Well, that is a challenge in and of itself. But then if you layer the political rhetoric that's happening right now, especially with public schools, if you layer um, the the lack of resources, the, some of the visceral conversations that's going on about, you know, our public educators and all, all the other things that that's happening, it is so challenging for school leaders right now. It was challenging before, it's challenging now. One of the things that I do is when I have opportunities to go to schools, I want to be um, like like I'm cross pollinating ideas. So it's one of those things like you could you were talking about leaders sometimes can be very myopically focused with what's happening in their building or their district or through that hemisphere of interest. So I had this opportunity to see the, the best that's going on. I have an opportunity to try to assist with some of the biggest challenges, and I'm learning from people all the time. So when I feel like a bumblebee. I'm cross pollinating all these all these ideas. So if I were to go into your school. It's like, let's let's do a little bit of a of an action plan, like what's working well, let's refine what's working well, and let's define what's not working well. And then let me be your partner in coming in and trying to figure out the resources that you have, the human capital, the the, the resources, and let's let's create a plan of excellence. I, I, I think that some we have all the answers that and we have a lot of the resource. It's not about stuff. It's about staff. It's not about programs. It's about people. And I think that our school leaders have been, this is a general comment here. I'm not talking about everyone, but I'm seeing where schools are challenged the most is where they've been inundated with stuff. So, you know, we had to buy these programs and you have to do these programs with this horrible word called fidelity, right? You have to, we have to make sure that all these programs that we bought are being utilized lockstep so we can align, you know, this, these tier one supports and, um, and then we wonder why we're not accelerating learning. So we've spent all this money on programs, but we're not spending the money on people. And right now, I think the, the, the latest research is that 30% of new teachers are leaving within the first year. If we're even getting the teachers right now, and it's because they have to do everything. They have to be everyone to every kid. They and and I've never met a teacher that's so amazing that they have all the skills and talents necessary to meet the needs of these uh, our students that we have. I've never met a principal that has all the skills and talents that needed. It's a Hollywood myth that any one teacher or any one principal be, can be the total change agent in the school. So when I come in, I'm trying to create that true collective teacher efficacy. I'm also trying to help create collective community efficacy because I feel that our teachers and our principals can't do it alone. So they have to cultivate strong collaboration within the school, but they also have to make sure the parents and families are part of this process as well because our parents and families are, are our ambassadors. They're our missionaries as well. They're our customers, just like our students are our customers. Our teachers and our staff are our customers that we have to serve, and our parents and our families are our customers that we have to serve. And I think instead of just 
shooting out programs, we need to make sure that we are creating experiences for our people. We need to make sure that we're affirming the gifts and talents of our people. We need to make sure that our leaders have the skills and talents to be able to to maximize and multiply their teachers and their team's collective capacity. And our parents and our families have got to be a part of this process transparently all the way. And that's what makes a great school. So I feel in this work that if we can get down to that and train our teachers and our principals and our teams to be able to create a service mindset, an experience mindset, a relational mindset, student learning will take care of itself. That's got me. So let, let me up. ask you a question. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Robin here, both think you're right. <laughs> Let me ask you a question maybe that jumps off of that a little bit, because I love what you're saying about the people. It's not just a matter of having the people. It's a matter of investing in the people. So we're talking about professional development. We're talking about building capacity to, to be able to effectively serve those that are that are in our classrooms and in our schools. So what would you say to that principal that is really having a hard time staffing a position and they get a couple of applications and none of them are like fantastic. They're like, oh, they'll fit the bill and I can train them. Or having somebody is better than having nobody. Mm. How would you respond to a principal struggling with that issue? You know, and it's 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 a real issue. And so I let's say this. So let me kind of break it down with a scenario. I've got school A, I've got school B right across the street from each other. OK, same district. Um the teach the principal in school A is having a hard time staffing its its uh, its faculty. It's got three positions. It's not really he's not getting the uh, the resumes. Um, you know, there's some just really issues with that. School B is same demographic, um, but school B is getting those resumes, and school B is actually like attracting some of the the best and brightest that's out there. Same population, same demographic, same same thing. So and then I and then hypothetically, here's what school B is, do, is doing. School B has a strong purpose. School B has a strong why. They've branded their excellence. Their vision statement is crystal clear. Their mission is crystal clear. They're transparent with their goals. There's a there's a growth of community support. Parents are invested in the school. Uh, the community business partners are invested in the school. The social media presence for School B is branded. It's there's a it's just there's a marketing campaign of excellence. The results are are pretty good, um, and School B has a culture of collaboration. School B is very transparent with that teachers and don't have to work in isolation. School B says that we're 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 we have a team approach, a collaborative approach to making sure that what what we're doing is great. We're not excellent at it, but we're still growing with that. Now, which school would you want to go to? School A or School B? Now, School A, the vision statement is some two paragraph long, something, whatever. That's, you know, the website hasn't been updated since, you know, 2012. Um, you know, we, we have programs, we have stuff, we come in. That's why the, the, that's not happening. There's There are teachers out there, but we have to remember that we're always recruiting. And what kind of perception do our teacher candidates have about the school that we want to invest in, right? We, When we join a school, we join a family. Well, do you want to join a dysfunctional family where nobody knows what we're doing? Or do you want to join a functional family? And you got school A and school B. What I just described with school B costs nothing. Mm -hmm. Costs nothing, right? 
it costs nothing to communicate your excellence. It costs nothing to brand your your, your vision. It costs nothing to um, to do that. And then there's no bait and switch. It's not like surface level. When you come in, this is absolutely what we believe in. Rob, I ask principals this simple, simple question every time that I go to schools. I say, hey, man, what's your vision statement? And why is it that principals still can't articulate what their why is? You know, I was in one school. I, I said, hey, man, what's your vision statement? And the principal said, oh, that's that's great. I, I, you know, we it's it's some it's written somewhere. And I'm like, it's on the mural right behind you. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, simple things like that. We don't we're not trained in principals aren't trained in in true customer service, true customer experience, marketing and branding. And so it's not the teacher A or principal A's fault. They just need the skills to be able to do that. So in a nutshell, that's an idea that I think that could, we need to be more mindful of. And I think the the example you just gave, there are going to be people listening that are like, well, I know I shouldn't be like school A, but I feel like we are school A some, sometimes. And is that in your work with schools? You, you'd you mentioned before the podcast that you travel something like 200 days a year. So you, mm. you visit hundreds of schools every year. Mm. Is that the most common thing you see schools struggling with is being able to articulate why they're doing what they're doing outside of the boilerplate like, oh, we educate kids and care for people. Everybody's going to say that. Is oh, that, yeah, sure. Is that what we you We care say? for kids. Well, so does Barney the dinosaur, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what sets you apart from every other school? I, I always say there's 93,000 schools. What sets you apart from everyone else? And we don't think about that. And every school is a thing. It's like a thumbprint, right? Every school has something unique about their culture. Every school does. There's no, you know, even if it's a, a an academy where there's like, you know, you know, like a, a franchise based school, every school is different. And so I always ask like, okay, listen, let's look at your vision statement. Does it, does it align your excellence? Does it inspire people? And does it motivate your community? I call that aim, right? Does it aim in the right direction? Align, inspire, and motivate. If it doesn't say that, then it's a it's a waste of time. And people try to be cute with their vision statements, you know, like we care for kids and we have heart. And I want your vision statement to say exactly where your school's going to be in five years. I want it to be a big, hairy, audacious goal, like that BHAG, right? I want it to say something like, you know, uh, uh, anywhere elementary school will be the number one school of choice for Virginia. I, I want it to be anywhere elementary will be a destination of excellence. Like, like it needs to be a vision statement needs to, to articulate the future and it needs to align, inspire and motivate. Now that's the kind of school as a candidate that I want to be a part of. Right. Mm -hmm. And then your mission statement, which I do, I, I think people make way too hard that it is. It needs to capture three ways your school can achieve that vision statement, right? So with me as a principal, our vision statement was a little bit of a tagline, but it was like, we were all about excellence. So we were the Eagles. So our vision statement when I was a principal was we're soaring for excellence. And then right underneath that, we were going to be the number one title one school in Virginia. And then our mission statement was that we were committed to best practices. We were going to be collaborative in everything that we do. And we're going to have a focus on community. We call it our three C's, commitment, collaboration, and community. And after five years, we were a model professional learning community. 
After six years, we were the winner of the 2000, I think it was 19 DeFore award-winning PLC School of the Year. We were one of the highest performing distinguished Title I schools in Virginia. So we knew exactly where we needed to go. But if I didn't have it articulated, and if from my custodian to my kindergartner, everybody is going to know that vision and mission. Well, that's the kind of school I think teachers want to be a part of. People don't want to be part of abstract and ambiguous. They want to be part of something tight and, and righteous. And I think we're we're competing with a limited teacher pool right now. We have parents and families that are leaving our public schools, right? Or or <laughs> seeking out other options. And I'm not saying that that's not a bad thing, but for our public schools, we need to be realize that we're losing customers, we're losing teachers, we're losing parents, we're losing students, and we need to start branding a little bit tighter because that's that's our reality. It's kind of like the coffee shop, uh, you know, that has never changed its you know, routine or never, never offered any good customer service because it was the only coffee shop in town. And then Starbucks opens across the street, right? You better change. You're going to go out of business. And I just think it's just something we we've taken for granted for a long time. And I and I think our school leaders and our and our and our district people and uh, we need to approach some things a little bit different. And that's something that I'm seeing that we're just trying to snake oil our way out of, you know, this, this issue. We're just trying to silver bullet our way out of this. There is no program, zero. There is no program. There is no uh, quick fix to this. It's about investing in people. It's about in investing in service and making people feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves. When teachers leave the profession or they, they leave the, or leave or quit, um, they're really leaving people. Right. They're really leaving people. And we need to make sure that we're attracting people and not losing people. That's one of those things that I, I think everyone does want to look for. What's the easiest way to fix this problem? And the only way to fix this problem is work. And you as a person have to go do the work. You can't buy your way out of it. You can't hire a trainer to come in and talk your way out of it. You can't spend two days thinking, oh, we're going to we're going to talk about a new mission statement. We put it on our binder. We put it on a shelf. We're done. It just takes so much intentional minute-to-minute -minute work. And that, I think, as a school leader, is the first thing to go when you have a pipe burst or a fire in your parking lot. That's the first thing to throw away. Because you know what? That's aspirational. That's forward thinking. That's, that's something that I'm going to see fruit from later. But right now, there's a toilet clogged. I got to go take care of that right now. That's, that's like problem number one. So mm. what would you give as advice to somebody who's stepping into school leadership now? What mm, would mm. you say to that person to make sure they keep that at the forefront so they can do all of those things well down the line? Yeah. I am not saying that, um, you know, making sure that uh, the, uh, you know, I don't know, the, the, the flooded toilet is important, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that the raccoon that just wandered in the building that you got to get, you know, is, is important. I'm not saying that all those little things are, or, you know, are important, but our job is instructional leaders. We're CEOs, chief education officers, not CMOs, chief management officers. And I think that there has to, I think what happens with new principals is they want to feel like they've accomplished something. And so they take care of the little fires, right, for 180 days without figuring out where the spark is coming from. And so it's it's kind of like teachers that have to feel like they just have to get through the curriculum, you know, 
and then they, maybe the end results will take care of itself. I think so, sometimes principals feel the same way because a lot of our best principals were also good teachers. But there is a habit and intentional excellence to good leadership. And one of the things that I help school leaders do is cultivate those habits of excellence. And so I'm going to say, listen, principal, I want you to spend an entire day with me. I'm the coach. I'm the consultant coming in. Give me your radio. That's your walkie-talkie. All right, let's turn it off. Turn it. Go on. Turn it off. Go ahead. Click it. Keep going. Turn it off. Good. All right. We're going to set that aside. You've got an AP. They're going to take care of the stuff. You're going to follow me around all day, and we're going to meet with teachers and teams, and we're going to listen to how they're unpacking standards. We're going to listen to how they're creating assessments. We're going to really listen and, and help our teachers align activities. We're going to talk about extension. We're going to talk about remediation opportunities, good tier one practices. We're going to have our team set goals and you're going to listen and you're going to remove the barriers for that to happen so that you can create an amazing instructional experience for your kids and for your teachers. Now, I can't do that if I'm unclogging toilets, right? But what happens is, is new principals don't feel they have the skills necessary to lead that work. So they abdicate their authority to other to other people. That's cool. The best leaders are the best learners. So learn how to cultivate tier one excellence. Learn, learn how to create service and experience for, for not only for your students, but for your teachers and your families. And we'll talk a little bit about families as well. Um, so I and and it's not the principal's fault. It's the supervisor's fault. Because the supervisors were also probably former principals that were managers. And so I think that a principal will do what their supervisor will also hold them accountable for. So when I was a superintendent, I wanted to hold my principals accountable, not for compliance, but for instructional excellence, right? I'm going to hold you accountable, you know, and help you and support you. And I say accountable and not in a, not a negative way, but in a proactive way to getting results and building relationships. So, you know, principals are always going to do the best they can, just like teachers, but where is the message coming from? And I think that's something that we have got to understand. It's about people, not programs, right? It's about culture, not compliance. Nathaniel, you've, you've talked a lot about um, mission and vision and people and, and culture and so forth. Um, I'm gonna, I mean, I want to ask you a question I didn't prep you with before the podcast. So we know we're set with this one. But um, you travel. You said you do like hundreds of days a year traveling. You see a lot of schools. Um, is there a trend in education that people listening to this podcast need to start being aware of? Is there something that you're seeing that you know is on the horizon that schools and leaders are going to have to address sometime soon? And and if so, what would you what would you call it? Yeah, I mean it's it's actually kind of similar to what we're we're talking about. Um, I just think that the trend is trying to find easy, you know, and and you know, and this has kind of been the the topic of our conversation. And um, it's like you're going to have to choose your hard. It's either going to be hard now or it's going to be really hard later. And you know, when it comes to um, you know accelerating learning. Um, you know, the trend is not to, um, you know, outsource excellence and, you know, and I just think our principal training operations, you know, from our master's degree folks to our endorsement folks, um, it just, it's time to do something different with it. What does Einstein say? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Um, no longer are the days of prairie room mentality where the one teacher has to be everything for everyone. And so we need to start investing in what good collaboration looks like. 
because new teachers can't do it by themselves. And as long as we ask them to do things by themselves, they're going to get burnt out and they're going to leave. The other thing is we have to really invest in our families, and especially in public school. You know, no longer are the days where we're just chasing around a couple of our, you know, more involved parents to sign the, you know, the uh, improvement plan or, you know, or or have the same three moms doing our PTA and PTO and, and you know, kind of doing all those things. Those days are gone. And so how can we create the type of culture that sees every parent as an asset and not as an obstacle? How can we work from our, that we have great customer experiences from the time the parent or the family walks into the parking lot to the time that they leave at graduation, that every experience is absolutely amazing. I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a perfect example of this. I'm a father, right? I got a son and I travel a lot and I'm usually, you know, it's, it's part of the job. I'm not able to be there with them, you know, during the week. But uh, I was able, he broke his leg. He broke his leg. A little man played soccer, he broke his leg. So I had to change my schedule so I could pick him up from school. So it was, it was crazy. You know, he's a soccer player. He's in, he's in eighth grade. So I had to change my schedule to pick him up. So, and I hadn't really been to his school the whole year just because of my job. So, um, so the first day I go to pick him up, I walk and I go to the video doorbell, you know, I don't know, like security, you know, you got the doorbell thing. It's actually looks just like a prison. It's just a brick wall. And there's a button that's, that it says push here and you push the button. And I hear this voice at the other line say, uh, ID, not, Hey, not, Hey, Mr. Provincio, not, Hey, how's it going? Good to see you. It was just ID. What that triggered in me is the same thing that happens when I get pulled over by the police, right? So yeah. me as someone who does customer service and experience and works with schools across the country, goes to his child's school and the first thing I hear is ID. That's an experience that's going to last with me, last with me so much I'm sharing it with you on a podcast, right? So that was an opportunity to build a relationship with a parent. And so now, I mean, think about how many more positive opportunities I'm going to have to have in order to erase that one negative opportunity. So maybe now I'm going to be a little bit re resistant about joining a PTO. Maybe now I'm going to be a little bit resistant for doing some other things, right? So we have to be on guard that we are working with a, uh, a public that, that has options. And we need to make sure that we are training our entire culture to create to be mindful of these experiences and these interactions with our parents and our families because our parents and our families are so vital. And what happens is what's and what's happening now and what I'm seeing is that the visceral and the um some of the the more negative connotations that parent and family groups are having, it's it's because maybe they weren't invited to the table in the beginning. It's because maybe they were feeling marginalized or dis disenfranchised by their schools years ago so because they didn't have a voice then they're looking for a voice now and so now we've got to we've got to kind of figure that out and um you know and it's just and and i think in our culture especially in like in our american culture we've become desensitized to to negative service like everywhere we go we have crappy service you know what i mean and so it's almost like as customers right uh you know we're like oh you know bad service is just what we expect but we can't expect that in our public schools we and our school leaders have got to understand that there is a intentional purpose for attracting and and taking care of our parents and our families, but.
but also our teachers as well, right? So not only as a CEO of a school, you know, as a principal, not only do we serve students, we serve teachers and, and staff, and we serve our parents and families. And I think if we can be more intentional with that, and then understanding that we have to be have instructional, and I hate the word fidelity, I'm going to say integrity. We got to have integrity with our instructional practices. We'll we'll get our results. We'll start moving the needle. And I think that's something that's more abstract than, than maybe school leaders have thought about. Mike, you're you're a school leader. I'm I'm sure you've these questions either have come across your mind or maybe they haven't come across your mind. No, you're absolutely right. You're hitting every nail on the head here about taking care of people. I mean, we are in the people business. This is nothing to do. I mean, we we do have a product and we want to make sure that we do that, like you said, with integrity. But part of doing that with integrity is knowing the people. It's it's not these teachers that just pull last year's lesson plans off the shelf and dust them off and and, and make new photocopies. Uh, it's it's learning the people that we serve so that we can serve them to the best of our abilities. And, and it is creating that community. You're hitting every target there as well. The community connections are vital because a school needs to be more than just an instructional six-hour building. It needs to be a place where people feel welcome, feel like it's their home. So um, I, I'm excited about your your work with the community connections with PLCs because you, you're absolutely on to it. I think this is fantastic stuff. Now, Nathaniel, watching an interview you did, you were talking about how you started counting parents having lunch with their kids as volunteer hours at your school. And I think I think that ties in so well to what you're talking about, because we kind of view parents hands off a lot of the time. Right. And that is the exact wrong tack to take, because we want them involved really as much as they can, because the more involved they are at school, the better their kids are going to do the better school is going to run. And you can tell how happy a parent is by how often they are at school and for what reason. If a parent is never at school except when their kid's in trouble, I guarantee you they're not having a good experience with your building, with your community, right? But if they are there all the time, that's the place they want to be and that's the place they want to hang out. That's like the best thing you can have for your community. What What are some ways you guys have been intentional and you've seen places be intentional about inviting parents in more than just, hey, here's supply drop-off, here's car line, right? And for the the private school principals listening, you should start counting parents having lunch with their kids as volunteer hours. I'll say take that idea from Nathaniel for sure. They're, as he says, they're opening lunches, they're helping out, they're sitting with kids. Let that time count because you'd probably be surprised how many more parents would show up if they knew a half hour with their kid at lunch was volunteer time. They'd totally do it. And so many of our Lutheran schools have a volunteer requirement for parents anyway. So Hmm. what are some of those ways you think we could be more intentional about interacting with our families and our communities? You know, what's more important, making copies or making memories? Hmm. Right? What's more important, making copies, making memories? What's more important, building bulletin boards or building relationships? You know? And, um, you know, we need to look at our parents and families, not just as cheap labor. (laughs) We need to look at our parents and families as assets and not obstacles. Um, I'm going to share a story that's very personal to me. Um, I'll try not to get emotional about it because it's, uh, it's a tough one, but it's one that kind of articulates the importance of every family member. Uh, I hope we have time to to share this. Um, But when I was a superintendent, um, it was where our school, I was, I remember driving around in my superintendent mobile or whatever, you know, my superintendent car, and I'm checking on different schools. I had 20 schools that I, I had the privilege of supervising. And it was 
the next year after our schools had been started to open after after the pandemic. And we had kids in hybrid, we had kids virtual, we had kids, you know, in person. But I served a, a high um, immigrant population with our 2020 schools, high immigrant population, uh, uh, Title I, very economically disadvantaged, you know, in the best of times, and then put COVID on top of it. So lots of challenges. I'm driving around and I'm at the, the corner of a very busy intersection. And I know and this is like one o'clock in the afternoon. And I noticed that there is a young lady who's holding up a sign that says homeless. Um, need help for rent and we have you know it, it sometimes we become desensitized with you know homeless you know on the corners and things I, I get it and and so I noticed it but I noticed again and there there was a child sitting next to this 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 woman and the child had a laptop this is in the corner of a busy intersection so the mom um, you know I'm, I'm assuming it was a mom was you know the you know asking for money but there was a child that had a laptop that was sitting down next to her. And it just, something just tugged in my heart that, that something just wasn't, wasn't quite right. I need, as a superintendent, you know, I need to double check what's going on. So I pulled the car over. I got out of the car. I dug around in my pocket for, you know, some couple bucks or whatever. And I, I gave the woman the money. And I said, hey, listen, my name's, you know, my name's Nathaniel. And um, I work for the school system. I'm just, I'm just checking to see what's going on. And there's got a, a child here. And she said, oh, well, thank you so much for, for coming up to me. I, I know this looks this looks bad. This might be a little embarrassing, but uh, I just got kicked out of our, my, my child and I got kicked out of our house. Um, I lost my job a couple of weeks ago. I couldn't pay the rent. I don't have anywhere to go. And um, this is just temporary. But I want you to know my child is still in school. And I'm like, well, what do you mean in school? She goes, well, he's doing virtual work right now. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I, you know, talked to the young man, and sure enough, he was in class. And the the mom said, you know, the reason why I'm right here is because we're so close to the store over here. We get free Wi-Fi, so I can pick up Wi-Fi. So my child, but listen, I love my child's school, and even though we got kicked out and we can't go to the the school anymore, I, I don't I don't want to my child to miss a single day of school. And even though I've fallen on such hard times, and even though this looks bad, and I'm just trying to find a place for tonight. Um, I'm not going to have my kid lose his education in spite of things that I can't control. Um, and it was interesting because not only were we at a at an intersection, I felt I was at an intersection and having this conversation. Because what that mother was telling me was that in, that every parent, regardless of their situation, every parent, regardless of their circumstances, I feel absolutely deeply cares about their child's education. They may not always have the skills and training and resources necessary to articulate that, but every family cares about their kid. After I heard that conversation, I said, listen, let me, I'm going to get you, we're going to get you taken care of. I'm going to call my social worker. I'm so sorry this happened. You know, I'm going to, we're going to get you taken care of. We got her, we got her housing for the rest of the week. We was able to allocate busing transportation to get the kid back in school. There's a lot of other, you know, details in this story. But um, six months later, I learned that that parent had passed away. And the parent's name was Hope. I didn't realize that. So this parent has taught me more about 
the importance that our families and our parents and our communities can bring. But are we taking the time to hear their stories, right? Are we taking the time to meet them at their door versus always waiting for the parents to come to our door? Um, and I think if we can just do a little bit more of that, excellence will grow tremendously if we just take the time to listen. And that's that was Hope's message for her son. And I'm trying to also help share that message of hope. That's that's so powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Mm. Thank you for sharing that with us. I have I felt like I've learned so much from talking with you. I want to thank you for for being on and for talking with us. And I have like index cards all over my desk now filled with notes. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been a pleasure and an honor to have you on the podcast today. I just want to say thank you. Links to Nathaniel's website and Twitter account will be in the show notes. So please check those out. He's also a speaker, presenter, and consultant. And you can get more information about that at the link in the show notes as well. Oh, my pleasure, man. My pleasure. Mike, is there anything else you'd like to end with? Otherwise, you know what time it is, Mike. It is time. It is time to lift us all up in prayer. And uh, and Nathaniel, Nathaniel, I'd like to pray for you as well in in uh, your work as you uh, relate to schools all over the place and 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 bless bless us and our listeners and bless uh, schools. So. Uh, why don't we uh, say a quick prayer? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for the day that you've given to us and the opportunity that we've had to uh, to learn from Nathaniel. Um, Lord, thank you for the wisdom that he has to share as he's gone into to places and learned so much. And I thank you that you've given him uh, the opportunities to be able to share these stories to not just support one school or one place, but to have an impact that is probably far more reaching than even he knows. Lord, as all uh, um, the listeners hear what we've shared on this podcast today, I pray that you would inspire in them some some ideas. Um, ideas where they can align and inspire and motivate others uh, through the work that you've called them to do. Uh, bless Nathaniel as he continues to uh, to learn and to lead. And thank you for this opportunity that we've had to spend some time with him. We lift all this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nathaniel. Thank you.